Today's video was recorded on February 28th, 2023. In today's lesson, we're going to switch from the spring festivals over to the fall festivals, and those begin with the Feast of Trumpets. Now, we've seen throughout this series that the actions of Jesus match the biblical holidays as a picture of redemption. So Jesus is the Passover lamb, and he died on Passover as that lamb. Jesus was buried on unleavened bread, and he's the unleavened bread of the world. He has no sin. Jesus was then resurrected on the day after the Sabbath, the Sunday, and that is the holiday of first fruits. And as Paul tells us, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. And then 50 days later, after he walked around with his disciples for 40 days, it was on the Feast of Weeks, which in Greek is Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit comes down as a gift from heaven. So Jesus was four for four on these holidays in that one year. Now those are the spring festivals, but what's next? What's next on his agenda? What are we waiting for? Well, we're waiting for the trumpet blast to announce the return of the king. And this is the Feast of Trumpets. This is what we'll be looking at tonight. You know, it's remarkable that when you learn about the symbolism of these biblical holidays, that it becomes very easy to see how that symbolism shows up in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, and as we'll see tonight, Paul's letters. So the disciples and Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers, they understood that holiday system and how it helps us see the plan of redemption unfolding in front of our very eyes through the actions of Jesus. Now, I want to take this moment to tell you about an exciting challenge that we've been presented with, and I hope you'll join us in meeting it. As you know, Fig Tree Ministries is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we rely on the generosity of our supporters to help us carry out our mission of helping others just like you go deeper into their Bible by understanding the original context of what the Bible says. And we're always looking for ways to increase our impact. And one of the most reliable ways to do that is to build a strong base of monthly donors. We were recently approached by one of our founding donors who issued a challenge to us that we would add 25 new monthly donors by Easter 2023, which is about six weeks away. So we're asking you today, if you found value in our Bible lessons, that you would consider becoming one of our new monthly donors. Any dollar amount qualifies, $2, $3, $10, $25, and we're grateful for any support that you can provide. And as a monthly donor, you'll be joining other monthly donors from around the globe. It includes fig tree friends from Canada, Great Britain, the Netherlands, South Africa, Australia, and of course, here in the United States. And as a monthly donor, you'll play a crucial role in helping us to be able to plan for the future, expand our reach, increase the tools that we have available to us, and ultimately increase our impact for the good news of Jesus around the world. Becoming a monthly donor is easy, and we've included a link below in the description section that'll take you directly to our donation page. And that page, it's through a partner organization called DonorBox. Now, you can also click on the link above in this video, and that'll take you directly to the same donation page. So thank you for considering this challenge. We're excited to see how many monthly donors we can add to our base with your help. Together, we can meet this challenge and make a real difference for the kingdom of God in a world that desperately needs biblical education. We hope you've been enjoying this series on the Lord's Appointed Feasts and that you enjoy today's lesson on the Feast of Trumpets 
as we long to hear that trumpet blast announcing the return of our king. All right, Feast of Trumpets. So we've, we've kind of jumped. We've made a leap from the Shavuot, which is, means weeks, the Festival of Weeks, or Pentecost, as we say in Greek. That's the last holiday, Holy Spirit. Next holiday on the list, trumpets. And we'll see how Jesus is interacting with this. Actually, Jesus, and then watch what Paul does. It's really cool. Teeny details within Paul. Help us understand what Paul's saying. Okay, this this is traditionally when the people, if you if you look up anything about Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, you get the shofar, so that ram's horn that's laying on top of a prayer shawl. So this is our seventh in a series. Oddly enough, this is the first day of the seventh month. Is the Feast of Trumpets. So if you want, turn in your Bible. If you have your Bible available. You can turn in Leviticus. I just want to read. It's only three uh, verses. Read the commandment for this holiday or this day. Really, it's, yeah, one day. And it seems a little bit vague. God doesn't give you a whole lot of details, just that we're going to blow a trumpet and hold a convocation and take a day off. God loves to take a day off. That's one thing God loves to do. Okay, Leviticus 23. Obviously, Leviticus 23, that's where we find all of these holidays. Okay, so it starts out, the Lord said to Moses, or the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, it shall be solemn rest to you, a memorial of blowing trumpets, a holy convocation. That's about all he says about the, the holiday. You shall do no regular work, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So clearly God has something going on here. He doesn't give a lot of details relative to the other holidays. So what do we need to do? We need to fill it in, right? We need to fill in the blanks. What are we, what are we doing now with this holiday? Some things to pay attention to. We've gone to the seventh month, which is going to be sometime around September to October on our calendar. It's the first day of the month. This is the only holiday that's the first day of the month. We'll talk about why that's significant. And what do we do? It's a memorial of blowing trumpets, whatever that means. Okay? So that's the commandment. Now let's figure out what they did with that commandment. Now, as I've mentioned repeatedly, and I'm just going to do a quick review, the holidays, they tell us it's a story of redemption. It's a mural, if you wanted to give the imagery of each holiday, of redemption. It's the fullness of redemption. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? The fullness of redemption. Well, we are in the process of moving towards when God ultimately redeems all of humanity, us included. We're not there yet. He's saved us. He's delivered us. We've gone into relationship with him, but now we're working towards the fullness of redemption. And so this, the group of holidays, tells the story of that. The fullness of redemption is, as we've talked about, God 
dwelling with his people, just like in Revelation 21 and 22. The people of God at the place of God with the presence of God, and that's all we need. So you have an act of salvation that's part of that plan, but it's not the entirety of the plan. Okay, so if we go to the holidays and we line them up, we would say it starts with Passover on the 14th day, and as we've mentioned, the first month. That's when God says, this is the first month of your year. Starts with that Passover. That's the blood of the Lamb, where God recognizes the blood and passes over. Then it goes to the next holiday, unleavened bread. It's the very next day, the 15th day of the first month. And we talked a couple weeks ago about, it's an amazing imagery that when God takes you out of the world and then wants to bring you into relationship with him, well, you have to give up something. You have to get rid of the world. And that festival of unleavened bread, seven days with no leaven. Leaven represents sin, represents the world. And you're supposed to get all of that out of you so that when you get to, say, Mount Sinai, you can enter into that relationship with God. So there's a a holiday that every year helps you get the sin out of your life. And then uh, first fruits. Now, that's not in the book of Exodus. That's for later, but we know the, the, the first fruit holiday. From there, you count 49 days. Then you get to the Festival of Weeks or the Feast of Weeks, Hebrew Shavuot, Greek Pentecost. That's what we did last week, that Pentecost holiday. Now you're going to go to the, to the end of the, this six-month period where you have the Festival of Trumpets. It's a one-day event that leads up to the 10th day being the Day of Atonement. And then you have this whole another well, in this case, it's an eight-day festival, the Tabernacles, Festival of Tabernacles. And all of these happen in the seventh month. And we notice something, that the Feast of Unleavened Passover to Unleavened Bread, 15th day, you go exactly six months later, and now you're at the 15th day again. You recognize that those two holidays start, Unleavened Bread is a seven-day holiday, Tabernacles is a seven-day holiday, and they start exactly six months from each other. Okay, what does the whole thing tell us? What's it telling us? Well, the whole idea is a movement. It's a movement from slavery, you're enslaved to something, the world, to dwelling with the presence of God. That's the movement, and that's the fullness of redemption. One day, we will dwell fully with the presence of God. Right now, though, God says, let's get on with it. Let's start today. Create a church. Get together, you living stones. Let's worship. I'll fill the space. Create a space in your heart. I'll fill it. Create a space in time, like a Sabbath. I'll fill it. Whatever it is, I want to dwell with my people. So that's redemption. We're back into the Father's house. So we notice that that tells the story of redemption. Well, the other thing that tells the story of redemption is the book of Exodus. And you say, ah, so Exodus is a story of redemption. What does Exodus look like? Well, it looks exactly like those holidays, right? So what happens in Exodus? Well, that's, the, that's where we read about the Passover. 
God is going to deliver them from Pharaoh. So we see the Passover. You have the unleavened bread. They didn't have time to allow their uh, bread to rise. There is no first fruits mentioned in Exodus, but we know that holiday comes up. God then delivers them out. 49 days later, they're at Mount Sinai. And God says, now let's enter a covenant relationship with one another. I'm going to come down on Mount Sinai. And all the people said, yes, we will obey. Now, how did they do? Right? Within, I don't know, it wasn't too long after they said, yes, we'll do everything you say, God, that the next thing you know, they build a golden calf. And God says, I've had it. Moses, go at it, go at it alone. Moses is like, no, 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 God, you got to come with us. We need your presence with us. God says, okay. They chisel out new tablets. There's forgiveness that's about to happen. So you can see that even when we enter a covenant relationship with God, there's still sin. And sin must be judged. So you have, uh, at some point, we have trumpets. It's going to bring us, they're going to call the Israelites towards repenting. They have to be atoned for or forgiven. And then ultimately, what happens by the end of Exodus is God is dwelling in a tabernacle. So for Jews, all of these holidays are, show up in the book of Exodus when Moses gets God to forgive them. And then the Israelites repent. They build the space for God. And so you can see, once again, they start out as slaves, this time to an actual Pharaoh. God has to take them away from Pharaoh and teach them that he's a different kind of God. I'm a God who wants to covenant with you. And by the end of Exodus, the presence of God is dwelling intensely with his people. That's the picture of redemption. Okay, now what about Jesus then? Well, we've gone over this so much, but it's so important to recognize the flow of what's happening with Jesus. He is the Passover lamb, right? It's his blood that when we're covered in his blood, we don't experience death. We're delivered from the bondage of sin. All of the same imagery. He's the unleavened bread of the world. He's the bread without sin. But we also have to extract ourselves in some way from the world. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first fruits of the, of the resurrection, that he comes out of the ground. When he's resurrected, he walks around for 40 days. He's with his disciples. He ascends. He says, okay, guys, I'm going up. Now here's what you need to do. Go to the temple. Stay there and wait. They're at the temple, as Luke told us last week, every day praising God. And 10 days later, on the next holiday, Holy Spirit descends. Ah, so now we're like, this is amazing. Jesus is actually hitting those, those holidays. This is kind of how we understand the progression of what's happening. All right, so where are we at today? Well, as was mentioned a little earlier, there's a whole bunch of people waiting for the trumpet blast, right? Because we're waiting for the next piece on Jesus' agenda is the return. How are we going to know now? This is, what, this is what people debate. Is it going to be an audible trumpet? 
Or is it going to be a sign that pops up and says, ah, we're close to the end of days? So we have the trumpets. Then we're going to have sin atoned for. He's our atoning sacrifice. And then we go into, ultimately, the Feast of Tabernacles. So once again, we're, we're matching exactly what this idea of redemption is. And once again, you could say, well, you know what? Before I met Jesus, I was enslaved to sin, to the world, blah, blah, blah. I got delivered. I'm entering into a covenant relationship with God in a new covenant through the blood of Jesus. So just like at Mount Sinai, entering a covenant, I'm entering a covenant relationship with God. And one day, like John tells us, there's going to be a tabernacling type event. In the beginning of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, or the, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John then says, and the Word tabernacled, the Greek word that he used is the one that's the, for the Hebrew word for tabernacle, and the Word tabernacled among us. And so you say, ah, there's going to be a day where we're with our bridegroom, the Christ, and we will be tabernacling together. So it's a great picture, and it's great to understand what Jesus is up to, and we'll see so much of that even in this Festival of Trumpets. And then, as I mentioned, you know, the Feast of Trumpets is the first day of the seventh month, which is right about September, and that's when everybody gets heightened awareness of what is happening. You always look for big events that happen on that day. Okay, so the Feast of Trumpets, that's where we're at. It, we're in this process of redemption. And you know, even us, sadly, I mean, we don't want to admit that we have sin and failure in our life, but well, the reality is we do, and sin needs to be judged. So in a covenant relationship with God, we're going to have failures. We're going to have things that we didn't intend to pop up, and we're going to have to go back to God and say, God, I confess my sin, I, I repent, I turn, I'm going to cast off this sin, and God says, great, we'll atone for your sin, but it's still a process as Christians, as we're growing with God, to get rid of that all the junk in our life that's just unnecessary. Okay, Feast of Trumpets then. This is Number two, the Feast of Trumpets, though, here's one of the main ideas. It's a call to repentance. So we have a Day of Atonement coming up, but there's going to be a call to repentance, and it's going to be a call for like an ingathering of the nations to come stand before the king. So the trumpet blasts, and the trumpet is supposed to wake you up. The rabbis see that humanity is asleep. You know, uh, when we were doing the book of Exodus, we have the video on um, Jesus told the parable of the bridesmaids, the parable of the ten virgins. And we talked about the idea of, it connects with Exodus, that the bridegroom is coming, ba -ba, ba -ba, the trumpets blow, and you have to wake up out of your slumber to then be prepared to go meet the, the, bride, uh, the bridegroom. So the trumpet wakes us up out of, the, out of our sleep, and we're supposed to prepare then 
for this day of judgment? Are we prepared for that day of judgment? And the idea, and we'll even see this with Jesus, is that God is going to call all the nations of the world before him for judgment. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. That's an idea when Jesus says that. It's an idea right out of this Festival of Trumpets Day of Atonement. So there's a period of time where they have to, where God's going to be judging the nations. And then finally, we'll spend a little bit of time on this. It's the only holiday that lands on the first day of the month. Okay? Now, what's the big deal with that? First day of the month. It's the only holiday. And I think you'll see how this is going to fit into what Jesus is doing. The Israelites operated, or actually, yes, even today, uh, the Israelites, they operated off of a lunar solar calendar. So they kept the solar part. uh, They would have a leap year every once in a while where they would add a whole month in because they want to keep the holidays at the same time of the year, like Passover always in the spring. But their months are dictated by the moon. So what happens is every year you lose 11 days. So then every three years you have to have a leap month. If you've ever noticed, for Muslims, they don't do this. They go off of a lunar, but they don't adjust it back to the sun. So what you'll see is Sometime Ramadan will be in September, and then all of a sudden you see Ramadan is in June, and then you see Ramadan is in April, and then you see Ramadan. It's just tw- it's going backwards because the calendar keeps changing, and that's what the Israelites are trying to they're trying to avoid that. So, but it's off of the moon. The big thing is they count their months off the moon. So check this out. You have, of course, the cycle of the moon. Now, we call the new moon, we refer to the new moon as the time when there is no moon because it's lined up with the sun and you can't see it. So on this picture, the new moon is where it's, there's no light shining. You can't see anything on the moon. Now, for the Israelites, they called the new moon this day where you could just begin to see a sliver. So it wasn't that it was empty, it's the very first sliver. Now, it kind of goes between the new moon here and the waxing crescent. I'll show you a picture of what it looks like. And they said, we have to see this, we have to see the moon. And we need two witnesses to look up into the sky and see that first crescent. And then we know for sure that the month has begun. Because sometimes you have 29 days in a month and sometimes you have 30. So we don't really know the day or the hour that the month begins. Because we have to watch the sky. We need to see a sign. Okay, here's what it looks like. I took this photo in San Diego, and this was on Rosh Hashanah. And I don't know if you can see that there, but right here is a little sliver of the moon. It's that small. It's always low in the western sky, and as the sun is setting, you get this little teeny sliver as the, as the moon begins to, to wax and go towards a full moon. 
So if I zoom it in a little bit, it's right there. That's a Rosh Hashanah moon. And so you need two witnesses. If there's no witnesses, you can't start the new month. Okay? So when does the holiday start? And it's a great metaphor because they say, really, no one knows the day or the hour. You're waiting in anticipation. You know the holiday's coming. You know there's going to be a new month. We just look at our calendar, but they didn't. And you need to wait to hear the announcement. And then when you hear the announcement, now you go and you kick off your holiday. Okay? So, in Jerusalem, as I've mentioned, you needed two witnesses to, to see that moon. And then they would interview the witnesses, find out where it was in the sky and what it was supposed to look like and make sure that was the right one. And when they got confirmation that that's the, the month is now beginning, there was a trumpet blast in Jerusalem. It lets everybody know that the new month is here. And then what they would do, because now that's only Jerusalem, how do you tell everybody in, the, in faraway places like Galilee or Babylon? Well, you light a signal fire, and they had a whole series of mountaintop signal fires that the moment the trumpet would blast in Jerusalem, all these uh, signal fires would start lighting up. Because if you lived in Galilee, you know the holiday's coming. I mean, you know, they're smart enough to know hey, I can count about 29 to 30 days, and I know that the, the holiday is coming. But if you're in Galilee, you know it's coming. There's an anticipation. You need to be prepared for the holiday. And so is it going to be today or is it going to be tomorrow? We don't really know. We have to wait for the signal. We have to wait for it to show up. And you don't do anything until that signal fire comes. And apparently, you know, in later times, the enemy would mess with the, you know, the signal fires. So it would throw off everybody's calendar. That's how you know the holiday is here, okay? So, how does Jesus describe his second coming? Okay, let's look at Matthew. I want you to look. Turn to Matthew, if you would. It's Matthew 24. Jesus' second coming is going to be described in terms that they would relate to the Festival of Trumpets. So, we're in Jerusalem. There's going to be a trumpet blast. I'll show you even the place where they blew the trumpet. It's really cool. It's Matthew 24, 30. He's talking about the end of days during this, uh, in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 30 to 31. I think on your handout, I may have only put um, verse 31. But if you look at verse 30 in Matthew, how do we know when the month is here? Well, there's a sign. We look for the moon, right? And then verse 30 says, and then the sign of the Son of, of Man will appear in the sky. Something's going to appear in the sky alerting you. And that's, that's right out of the context of the Feast of Trumpets. Then all the tribes of the earth, it's the ingathering, all the nations of the earth are going to mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and great glory. Why are they mourning? Because the judgment's coming. And then, verse 31, he'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And he's going to gather together everybody from the, or the chosen ones from the four winds. So you can see, obviously, the main idea, it's the trumpet blast. That's what announces Jesus. Very interesting. The Jews 
they have an affinity with the moon. And they say this, look, the moon doesn't create its own, its own light. Neither do we. We don't create our own light. We reflect God's light. Well, the moon reflects the light of the sun. So God is like the sun. Now, it's obviously they're not worshiping the sun or anything, but God's like the sun. It hits the moon. It reflects light, and it reflects light into the darkness of the world. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be like the moon. So you celebrate when the moon goes dark at the darkest time of the year. You celebrate when that light starts, when it comes back around, when the light is going to start coming back into the darkness of the world. Pray that all of us would be just like the moon and reflect the light into the darkness of the world. Okay, so there's the trumpet call. Then, keep there in Matthew 24, we also say the day and the hour is unknown. So just like the Feast of Trumpets, you're not exactly sure when this whole thing is going to start, right? So look at verse 36, just a couple verses down. And Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour. We wait for the trumpet blast. We're not exactly sure when it's going to happen. We know we're getting close. There's anticipation. And we're looking out for that sign, but we're, we're getting ready to, for the judgment, right? So we need to be prepared. So, okay, that's how Jesus, the second coming, fits in with that. Now, let me show you something. This is really cool from Jerusalem before we get to Paul. Um, they found something in the ruins. Uh, it was found, uh, I believe, in 1968. I think I put that on your sheet. I'll show you a couple pictures here. It was found in the ruins um, at the temple. It, I keep saying the temple. I know last week it's God's house, but we all know it as the Temple Mount. In the ruins of the Temple Mount, they found something that's really cool about the trumpet blast. So this picture right here, this is, I'll put a big S, that's the south side of the Temple Mount, facing the south. That's where all those mikvah were that I showed you last week. The south side of the Temple Mount, which means the west is right on the other side of this corner. That's the western wall. And so the corner of this building here is the southwest corner of the Temple Mount, and it's the, the corner that overlooks the city of Jerusalem. So it would be the closest corner to the people. Okay? Now, if I go, I'm going to switch over here and show you it from this side. It, this is the western side. If you go further back in that picture, you'll end up at that western wall. And then, of course, this is the south side of the temple. And right in the middle here, I'll put a circle around it. This is referred to as Robinson's Arch. Robinson was an uh, archaeologist, and he discovered this arch. And eventually they were able to excavate down all the way to the street level, street level that Jesus would have walked on, first century. So where, where you see that arch, those, it's the, the beginning of the arch that's coming out. You can tell the stones below the arch are different than the stones above the arch. Now, the stones below the arch, those are original Herod stones from the first century that Jesus would have known. The stones at the top, that's rebuilt. Because the Romans pushed the, the stones down onto the, the floor. Anyways, this is really cool. And you'll see in a minute why I'm telling you all this, because I'll show you a picture from the Israel Museum. But that's Robinson's Arch, very famous. 
so we can understand about the architecture of what it looked like. I'll tell you this. They built this park down here. You can see, you can see these people. They're standing down next to the wall, and they're having an event. Now, I don't know if it's a bar mitzvah or a wedding or something, but it's something where you want to intermingle men and women. If you go to the other side where the Western Wall is, men and women are divided. And so what they did is they built this park further down the Western Wall, and that's where you can have both men and women at the Western Wall together. Just an interesting comment there. Okay, but way up here on this corner, that's going to be the place where they blow the trumpet. Now, how do we know that? Well, here's what they found. This is inside the museum. In, it's called the Israel Museum in, in Jerusalem. And it's that stone there. But the, before we get to the stone, I want to talk about this. You see, of course, an artist rendering of the Temple Mount there in the background. I believe Martha Rittmeyer was the artist who, who drew that. I just talked about Robinson's Arch. It was a huge stairway. You can see right there in the circle, there's a stairway going up, and it creates a huge arch. That's the arch that was attached to the side of that building. And then right here at the corner of the temple, so that's the southeast corner of the temple, they found this stone. Well, I'm sorry. They found the stone on the ground, but that stone would have been sitting up there at the top of that, okay? And this stone essentially says it's the place of the trumpeting. So they had a designated place where the person with the trumpet would show up. Now, that's, that's Hebrew script from the first century, and then, which goes against, a, a lot of people said Hebrew was dead. It's like, no, there it is, same, same Hebrew 2,000 years ago. This is what it says. This is the sign from the Israel Museum. The place of the trumpeting. And so here's an artist's rendering. They said, aha, they had a little area on that southwest corner. They, this is how you announce all kinds of things. The beginning of the month, it's Rosh Hashanah. It's the blowing of the shofar, the trumpet. You're standing there on that corner. So it's pretty cool that archaeologically we have something that represents the Festival of Trumpets, and it makes sense there in Jerusalem, the place to blow the trumpet. So that's pretty cool from the first century. Okay, next, this is the, the thing we'll finish with. It's a theological concept. They noticed something in the Bible, the, the rabbis did. They noticed that the very first time the word shofar shows up, it's God blowing the shofar. Now, this is a, this idea in studying the Hebrew Bible, and one of the reasons to, you know, that people want to learn the Hebrew language is to recognize they always look for the very first time. If those are the words of God, then where's the very first time that we see the word showing up in the text? And so the very first time that we see this trumpet shows up, not only was it the first trumpet blast, but it's the first time that it shows up in the Bible. It's Exodus 19.6. And they said, ah, the first trumpet, the first time we see the word trumpet, God blew that trumpet, not man. And if there's a first trumpet that God blew, well, then there's going to be a last trumpet. 
and God's going to blow that last trumpet one day. Okay? And every other trumpet in between is just man. So what are they waiting for? The last trumpet. And of course, according to the rabbis, that last trumpet is connected to the Messiah. And that's what our New Testament's going to do. Okay? So you look for the very first time you see trumpet, and now we're waiting for that last one because God's going to blow them both. All right, so now in your Bible, if you would, or it's, I think I put it on your sheet, Exodus 19, 16. I put on your sheet Exodus 19, 6. I apologize, that was a typo. Exodus 19, 16. This is the first time we see the word trumpet. They're at Mount Sinai. Verse 16, it happened on the third day when it was morning. Uh, what else happened on the third day when it was morning? Okay. Any signs about anything on the third day when it was morning? Now, this is Mount Sinai, but just think about that phrase. It happened on the third day when it was morning, and there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a sound of an exceedingly loud trumpet. Now, where did that trumpet come from? God blew that trumpet. That's it. That's the first one. Now, when's the next one coming? Well, now we're going to go down. If you have your sheet, you'll go, it'll be faster if you just look at your sheet. Because the prophets are going to pick up on this. And they're going to connect the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, with a trumpet call. We look at Joel first. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Joel starts out. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. So we have a trumpet, and we have the day of the Lord, that day of judgment. It's coming. It's near. Well, if we look at our holidays, the trumpet that wakes us up and calls us to stand in front of the king, that's and the day of atonement. So, we see it in Joel. Next, we see it in Zephaniah. Okay, Zephaniah 1, 14 to 16. The great day of the Lord is near. They know the judgment is coming. So, there's the day of the Lord. It's near and hurries great. And the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man, cries bitterly. The day is a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. That sounds like fun, right? Verse 16, a day of the trumpet and alarm. So once again, we're hearing every time the, the prophets talk about that trumpet blast, it's going to be about this day of judgment. Now, Zechariah, and this is a really important one. Zechariah 9:14. Verse 14, the Lord will be seen over them. His arrow will go flying forth like lightning, and the Lord God will blow the trumpet and will go with the whirlwinds of the south. Now, who's blowing the trumpet according to Zechariah? God is. So God's going to blow the trumpet on this one when the day of judgment comes. Okay? Now, if you have your Bible, Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 
this one because I want you to see the detail that Paul has here. If we don't know first trumpet, last trumpet, if we don't understand the context of being called into judgment, we miss these little de details uh, of what Paul is saying. So 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and look at what Paul says, at the which trumpet? Last. He knows, he knows the metaphor. I mean, he's a, he was trained by uh, Rabbi Gamaliel. He knows all of the theological points from the Pharisees. Paul's a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He knows all of that stuff. And so when he writes it here, that means his audience knows it too, because they know the, di the difference between trumpet and last trumpet. So in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, ah, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorrupt incorruptible. And we will be changed. Okay? So that's the first one right there. Now turn to 1 Thessalonians. For, I might have only put 16. I think I only put 16 on your paper. I put 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 16. But for some reason on the, the screen there, it's verse 6. So whatever I did, I apologize. But this is the verse. So on the screen. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with God's trumpet. Now notice that again. For Paul, it's the little details. He knows it's not just a normal trumpet, it's God's trumpet. And then, of course, he says the dead will, and Christ will rise first. So this, so important to know that little theological piece. God blows that first trumpet in Exodus, and there will be a day where God's going to blow the second one. That's what Paul's getting at. And it's the day, of course, that Jesus is talking about the final, ushering everybody into the final judgment. Okay, so Feast of Trumpets, it's a call to repentance. You're waking everybody up. You're rousing out of your sleep, preparing to go stand before the king. And in our case, it's the final judgment. We're preparing for the day of atonement. All of our sins are going to be atoned for. But sin must be judged, period. So you have to go have the sin judged. It can be pardoned. It can be atoned for. In this case, Jesus atones for our sin. It's the first day of the month the feast is. So it's that uniqueness of we don't know exactly when the day, when the holiday is going to start. We don't know the day or the hour. It's unknown. And then we have to know something about this concept, the first trumpet, last trumpet, because as Paul is talking, communicating about Jesus, his audience knows those little details, those little theological details that we might miss. And it just helps enrich the picture of what's going on. God has two trumpets. He's already blown one, and we're just waiting for the next one to happen. Okay, Feast of Trumpets. Now, we'll come back next week. Like I said, we're going to come back. I want to do trumpets again, but we're going to talk about Rosh Hashanah. Why is that now the, the beginning of the new year? What There's some really uh, interesting stuff that goes on for the month preceding this. 
These are traditions that the, the Jewish people adopted. And then um, we'll see how that fits in with Jesus, even though the text doesn't specifically talk about those holidays in the New Testament.